Before the very foundation of the world, he knew. Before the light was separated from the dark, before the birds flew in the sky, before the animals roamed upon the lands and the fishes swam in the sea, he knew. Before the first man and woman walked upon the face of the earth, and sadly, before man's first sin in the garden, he knew. See, the Father knew even before the creation of the world that he would send his Son, Jesus Christ, to save this world, to save you and I from our sins. God the Father would give up God the Son, the Son who proceeds from the Father, the Son whom the Father loves, adores. The Father was willing to give Him up to save us, to save the world from the consequences of sin. And sometimes as Christians, and I know I include myself in this, sometimes we can forget how great the sacrifice that the Father gave up so that we could become in right relationship with Him. Because once again, the Father loved the Son. If any of you in here have kids, I think most of the time at least we love them, right? We adore our kids. My wife, Tanith, and I, we have a 21-month-old son. His name is Aiden. And my wife and I, we adore him. We love him. You've probably seen him in the fellowship center. He's running around with a big piece of watermelon in his mouth. The juices are flowing. Sometimes people wonder if it's, a, if it's an actual watermelon running around because he's got so much in his mouth. Cute curly hair. We love him. Why I said that five times. As much as my wife and I love our son, as much as you love your kids, it is nothing compared to the love between the Father, Father God, and His Son, the God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It doesn't even compare. There is a perfect union and a perfect bond and a perfect relationship, a love that is between the Father and the Son of God, that there is no way for our minds to fully wrap around their intimacy and their union and their bond together. And imagine having to give up one of your kids for a bunch of sinners. I'll give you an example, and this will sound a little bit crazy, and that's okay. I think it'll drive home the point well. I was just talking about my son, Aiden. Imagine if a judge went to Tanitha and I and said, we have seven murderers over here, and we'd like to put them back into society. We think they've paid their dues. We think they're doing all right. We don't think they're going to hurt anybody else. Seven people who killed somebody else. And they said to Tanith and I, they said, you know what? We're going to take your 21-month-old son, and we're going to have to take him away from you. So, because there has to be some kind of punishment, some kind of reward that is paid for them to come back into society, and we're going to take your son Aiden from you so those seven murderers could go free. Sounds pretty crazy, huh? That's not, that, that could never happen. Hopefully not. Hopefully there's no society that would do that. But make no mistake about it, we are those murderers. Maybe no one in here has actually committed the crime of murder. Hopefully not. But we are sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. We are liars. We are cheaters. 
right? Adulterers, adulterers, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank with whatever you have done. That's who we are. But God loved us so much anyways. He was willing to take his perfect son, his holy son, the unblemished lamb of God, and he put him upon a cross to save us. Because that's the other crazy thing in a good way about God's love. Not only did he know that he would send his son, he also knew, knew what his son would what? Go through to save us. He knew that his son would be born into humble means 2,000 years ago. He knew that his son would be, would be mocked. He knew that his son would have to wear a crown of thorns upon his brow where the thorns would go into his flesh and he would, he would be mocked as king of the Jews and he would suffer in a way that no one has ever suffered. The father knew that before the foundation of the world and it was still the father's plan to do so. He knew that his son would hang upon a cross unable to breathe. People mocking him saying, you saved other people, save yourself. Why don't you come down from that cross? You're God's son. God can save you. Why don't you do it? And he still hung there because he was fulfilling the calling and the mission that before the foundation of the world, the Father had given him. And he did it for you, and he did it for myself, and he did it for the world. There is no greater love than what the Father and the Son showed through Jesus' life, death, and ultimately his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray before we continue. Father, your cross is challenging. It is life-changing. Father God, let us not take it for granted. Father, let us not forget what you did by sending your son. Jesus, let us not forget, Jesus, what you did for us. What you were willing to do, Father, for people who did not deserve it, myself included. Father God, change us here by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change us here by the three passages of your holy word that we look at. Father God, let us find hope and peace, but God, let us also remember what you have called us to do as believers. You have called us to lay our lives down on the altar of a living sacrifice before a holy God. Dear Lord, change us. Let us not play church. Let us not play religion. Let us be changed. Let us be the church, Father. Let us live lives that reflect your grace and your mercy and your power and your reality. We thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And while you're turning there, the sermon of the title is The Cross Effect. And we talked, obviously, about the Father's love. We talked about the love of the Son dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And it happened 2,000 years ago. 
And there is an effect, there is a result that happens because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. We don't want the cross just to be something that we look back and just look back and say, oh, that was, you know, that was something great God did. We want the cross to be something that affects us today, right here. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Awesome passage. To talk about justification, I think Pastor Mike just a week or two ago talked about this. To be justified before God is to what? It is to no longer be in opposition to God. It is no longer to be underneath God's wrath. When you are justified, when you receive the justification because of Jesus' death upon the cross, you now become a friend of God. You are now a child of God. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what else will. Because we do not deserve to be God's friend. We do not deserve to be one of God's children. But that is the result of the cross of Jesus Christ. In your notes, the effect of the cross for believers is, and you can go and fill both of them in right now, is peace and hope. The effect of the cross for believers is peace and hope. What does it mean to have peace with God? It's somewhat along the lines of what I just talked about. You are no longer in opposition to God. You are at peace with God. And let me be clear about something. That is an amazing truth to know, and it is an amazing truth to what? To walk in, to live out, to every day to get up to know that you are no longer in opposition to a holy God. Because we always talk about God's love. We talk about God's mercy. We talk about God's compassion. But let's be clear. Our God is a holy, righteous, and just God who is described as a consuming fire. Let us never lower our view about who God is. And the fact that God would give us peace with him through his son's death upon the cross is an amazing truth to know, to understand, and to walk in, and to live out. To have peace with God is that when life is difficult, you know you're still at peace with God. Who here needs peace sometimes in life? Right? Everybody's hands almost went up. Just look at the world. Everybody needs to have that relationship with God where when they get up in the morning, it's no longer about guilt, but it's about peace with God. It's almost like this. Spiritually, when you understand that, you can just do a big exhale and just go, because it just changes how you look at life when you know, when you know you're at peace with the creator of the universe you don't have to worry about where you're going when you die. You don't have to worry about where you're going when you leave this earth because you know that you're in relationship with God. That because of Jesus' death upon the cross, he tore down that chasm, that separation between a holy God and sinful humanity. And we can just rest in that knowledge that we have peace with him. Going on from there, we have hope with God. The effect of the cross for believers is peace and it is hope. You know why hope is so amazing? Because no matter what we're going through, and sometimes life is difficult, and I just asked you, who loves having peace? Even when life is throwing 10 curveballs at you at one time, even when you feel like you're going through a dark tunnel, you have the hope 
of your eternal destination with Jesus Christ. That's why in James 1, it talks about how you can count it joy to go through various trials and tribulations because you have the hope in you. You know that God is changing your character. You know that God is getting you ready for heaven. There is a world out there who does not know Jesus Christ. And let me be clear, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know hope. At least not real, genuine, authentic, eternal hope. What are you going to hope in if it's not Jesus Christ? Are you going to hope in your family? Is your family always going to be here? No. Are you going to hope in a church building? Is a church building always going to be here? No. Your friends? Video games? Movies? Materials? Whatever it is that people find hope in. People find hope in this world in all kinds of weird and random things. We've got high school students and middle school students here. They could attest to that, right? Kids at your guys' school, they find hope in weird stuff. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be sex. Whatever it is. But because of Jesus' death upon the cross, we have a firm hope, a permanent hope. When it's talking about peace and hope with God in the context of this passage, it's looking forward to that end times hope that we have in Christ. If any of you in here today, you're going through a difficult time, can I just remind you that you have a firm hope in the person and in the lordship and in the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and nobody, nobody can take that hope away from you. Because when you're God's kid, you're God's kid. If that's you in here today and you need prayer, I would actually just encourage you to get prayer here today. But remind yourself because of God's word. Remind yourself of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. If you're in that dark tunnel right now, please just look to the end of it. God is with you. God loves you. And he is your hope. Pastor Mike referenced Easter Sunday. Who here knows when Easter Sunday is? Just check in. Yeah, you never know. Got a few people coming in late. Just want to double check. Even Joseph in the back knows. That's good. Easter Sunday is what? One week from today. I talked about how the world needs hope. The world needs peace. Let me ask you this. Very practical question. Who are you giving hope to? Who are you giving hope to? Now, obviously, you're not Jesus, so I don't mean like you're the one who really, you know, like gives them hope. But who are you telling about? Who are you talking to and telling them about Jesus Christ? Who are you inviting to Easter Sunday where Pastor Mike's going to get up here and he's going to talk about the resurrection from the dead? Because Jesus lives, we live also. Who are you going to invite to that church service? Inside your church bulletin, got one of these. I think we passed out about 2,000 of these yesterday. We want you guys to invite somebody to Easter service on Sunday. There's two tables in the back. If you've got 5, 10, 15 people you want to invite, grab them on your way out. But we are going to share the good news. We're going to share the gospel. And we want all of you here to be encouraged in your faith. But we also want all of you here to go out and to share your faith, to tell people about Jesus Christ, to invite them to Easter service. Because our hope is so amazing. It is so good. Why do we not tell others about it? What keeps us from doing so? Does anyone in here know anything better than the hope we have in Jesus? Now, nobody can say anything. I bet we'll talk more about basketball today than we will about Jesus. 
right? A lot of basketball playoff games, or maybe it's baseball, for those of you who like that weird sport. Especially Dodger fans. Who are you going to invite to Easter service? Just real practical. All you got to do, go up to someone. Here's a card. The website's on it. If they want more information about the church, they'll go to the website. Everybody uses the internet today. Yeah, Twitter, text message, email. Got it. You can use your mouth, God forbid, right? There's all kinds of ways to invite people in today's world. So let's invite people. Going on from there, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. One of the most challenging passages in the New Testament, and I know it's been a passage that has convicted me numerous times in my Christian walk. Galatians 2, 20, the Apostle Paul speaking once again says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. Point point number two in your notes is this. The effect of the cross is dying to self for those who place their faith in him. The effect of the cross is dying to self for those who place their faith in him. The Apostle Paul in this context, he had realized that the law, the Jewish law, following the rules and the regulations, there was no need for those any longer. What he used to be, what he used to do, there was no longer any room for who the Apostle Paul was. In fact, his name was what? It was, it was Saul. And he makes that statement, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. We have to understand something about the Christian life. It's not a matter of rules and regulations and did I show up to church at the perfect time and read my Bible at least for one minute and 21 seconds today. It's about this. It's about death and life. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about dying with Christ and about being raised with him through the resurrection. Every single person in here who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they have believed in his death. They have believed in him as Lord. They have asked him to forgive them of their sins. They have been crucified with Jesus Christ. If you're in here and that's you, you have been crucified with Jesus Christ. By faith, when we believe in his death upon the cross, I don't know how this fully works. It's a supernatural thing that God somehow somehow does. But he imparts the work of the cross and what happened to his son and what his son went through. He takes that and he imparts that to us. But it makes total sense to a certain degree because why? To have newness of life, what happens? We have to We have to die. We have to die to have a new life, right? We understand that. So it's no longer Mark who lives, but it's Christ living in Mark. It's no longer Ian who lives, but it's Ian, or it's Christ living through Ian. The source of Ian and Mark's strength, the source of my strength, hopefully, the source of all of our strength is our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have to understand something. We have to learn to what? We have to learn to deny ourselves daily. We're going to do, or we're doing a prayer focus. You know why prayer is so important? Check, check this out. This is why prayer is so important. We, when we pray, we shouldn't be like, God, I want this, and I want my will, and I need my will right now. Right? Is that how we're supposed to pray? 
this is very like this is a very practical way we're supposed to pray, and it, it plays out in the Christian life. We're supposed to come to God and say, God, not my will, but what? It's your will be done. God, use me how you want to use me. But what happens with our prayer life, and I've been guilty of this just as much as anybody else, what typically happens is this. God, I need this. This is what I want. This is when I want it. And this is how I want it. Right? Isn't that kind of how we pray sometimes? We might not pray just like that, but that's the heart behind the prayer if we actually listen to ourselves. Right? That's not what God wants from his kids. God wants us to realize we have been crucified with him. The Apostle Paul got it. The Apostle Paul is a lot smarter than I know myself. He understood his source and his hope and his source and strength to live out this life was the fact that he had been crucified, and now he lives by faith in the Son of God who is his strength through the person of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. But if we're not willing to do that daily, it's pretty hard for God to use us, right? It's pretty hard for God to use us. So are we doing that? I'll give us an example we probably have a mix of people who have been married, who are married, and who are single in here. And for those of you who have not been married, let me tell you something. My wife knows I mean this in the best way possible. When you get married, your life changes, right? I think anyone who's been married or is married could agree with that. Your life changes, and this is why. Before I was married to Tanitha, I was a bachelor. And when you're a bachelor, you get to kind of do whatever you want, right? I I worked full-time. I served in the church for a little while. Did that on Sundays, sometimes during the week. Did my 40 hours a week, and this is what I normally did when I came home, and some of you will not be surprised. I would come home, get a bunch of Mountain Dew, and play video games with my friend Daryl. Hopefully he'll listen to this online. That's just what I did. I worked out every once in a while. I'm sure you can tell. That's what I did as a bachelor. And you know why? I could do whatever I want. Right? I mean, am I, am I correct on that? I had a lot of time. And then I had some years in my life where I might use a little bit more spiritually, hopefully. I definitely had a few years where I kind of just did what I wanted, kind of on a selfish level. When you get married, what happens? Your identity changes. Your identity completely changes. You are now married to somebody else. You now, you now have a completely different life. It is no longer what it used to be. And when you get to the third point, we're going to talk about that even on a more practical level, how that plays out. But your identity changes. And when you have a kid, your life really changes, right? But what happens as Christians on a practical level is sometimes we forget who or what we are. Right? We forget our identity. Sometimes as Christians, we think we're still a bachelor when we're what? When we're the bride of Christ. Sometimes we think we're a bachelor when we're married, so to speak, to Jesus. Where our life, it's no longer our own. We have to, on a daily basis, remind ourselves of that truth. Because if we don't, It's going to be pretty hard to lead a spirit-led life when you still think you've got two lives that are fighting for each other on that. That makes sense. Are you living like that bachelor? Do you understand that who you are in Christ? Or are you living like a married person where you get up and you say, God, what would you have for me today? 
God, how would you want to use me today? I have been crucified with you, which, thanks be to God, we have been. That's how we have forgiveness from our sins. Or you get up in the morning and say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. God, I think this is what you want for me, but if you have something else, I'm open to it. That's why humility as a believer is vital. If we do not have humble hearts before God, it is pretty hard for God to use us the way he'd want to. Going on from there. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four. God's word says this Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Point number three in your notes is the effect of the cross is dying to sin and it is becoming alive to righteousness. Becoming alive to righteousness. Because Jesus on the cross, through his death, his physical death upon the cross, because he bore the sins of the world upon himself, we are now dead to sin and we are alive to righteousness See, what happened was before we were saved, before we knew Jesus Christ as Lord, before we believed in his death and his resurrection, we were what? We were slaves to the power of sin. We were enslaved to its power. It had a hold of us. We were under its control. We couldn't live for God because our master wasn't God. Our Lord wasn't God. Our master and our Lord was sin and its power. It's terrible power. But now because Jesus was willing to hang there on the cross, the unblemished, the perfect lamb of God, because he's willing to do that and to take it upon himself, our punishment, our consequences, our separation, because he's willing to do that upon the cross, we are no longer underneath the power of sin for those who have placed their faith in him. In fact, and it's not in the notes, but in fact we are now what? We are now slaves to righteousness. That should be who we are. If somebody looked at you and looked at your life, if somebody looked at me and looked at my life, we, they should see righteousness just being played out on a daily basis. Right living before God, a holy God. That we're living in a way that glorifies the Creator. Romans 12.1 talks about how what? We are living sacrifices. Not dead sacrifices. I don't even know how that works, but we are living sacrifices unto God. That is our act of worship. If somebody looks at the Christian church, they should see people who are committed to righteousness for God's glory, for God's sake. If somebody looked at your life right now, what would they see? Would they see someone who's fallen back into sin? Or would they, be, would they see someone who you could tell? They know who they are in Christ. You can just tell that they know to living for Christ is gain. You could tell that they know who they are in Christ in the sense that righteousness just naturally flows from their life. 
That's the challenge for us today. Using that bachelor analogy continued. Think about it on a practical level being married. If we do not involve ourselves in things like prayer, in things like God's word, that's where we get stuck again in that bachelor life. Like if I wake up in the morning and Tanitha's there and I don't even talk to her at all, and I just kind of ignore her, I'm acting like a bachelor. But if we want righteousness to play out in a very practical way, we need to get up in the morning and we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to be excited to open up his word and to see what he has for us. We need to enjoy and embrace worship. We need to embrace and enjoy fellowship with one another. Enjoy God's presence in our lives. And we need to remember that sin no longer has power over us. How amazing is that truth? Sin no longer has power over us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And some of us in here may be struggling with some serious sin issues right now, right? Where we're just really falling back into the traps of the flesh. Can I just tell you on behalf of God's word, I'm not saying this is like some you know, magic formula here either, but can I tell you on behalf of God's word, it doesn't have to have power over you any longer. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have the power on the inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have God's word to live in a way that is free from the powers of sin. You are now alive. I am now alive to righteousness. We have the freedom to live for God. We have the freedom to live in a way that glorifies the Creator. Prayer, church, the Word of God, that is just who we are. It shouldn't become a religious thing either. Let me just add that. It shouldn't become a religious thing. Where, man, if we feel like if I don't spend time in God's Word, I'm in trouble. If I don't show up to church on time, it's not about that. It's once again, are you walking and being led by the Spirit of God daily, or are you walking and being led by your flesh, by that old person of who we used to be? I mean, I'm sure you could look at your life right now. I could look at my life right now. And it's kind of a sobering thought sometimes, right? I'm so consumed sometimes by me, by who I used to be, and I forget who I am now in Christ. I forget that that sin no longer has power over me. And thanks be unto God, and he deserves all the glory for that. So if you're struggling with sin right now, things in your life that you know need to change, I just encourage you, get in prayer, get in God's word. And if you need prayer, myself, Pastor Mike Rupert, we'd love to pray with you during the second set of worship. God's will, God's desire for his kids after they come to know Jesus Christ is for them to what? It's for them to change, to grow more and more into the character, into the person that God has called them to be, But you know what happens sometimes? And I've done it. We say that prayer, we receive Christ, and then we kind of go on that vacation for a while. It happens. You know what the amazing thing is? Our hope and our peace with God is eternal. It is secure. It is permanent. God's not going to forget about you. God still loves you. But at the same time, God wants his kids to change. God wants his kids to remember that they're alive to righteousness and not to sin. But we have to remind ourselves of that. We're just going to close in a couple minutes. I have a quote just to read out loud. It is impossible, it's in your notes, it is impossible to live a life of righteousness led by the Spirit when you are not aware of your old self being crucified with Christ. It is impossible to live a life of righteousness led by the Spirit when you're not aware of your old self being crucified with Christ. 
daily, we have to remind ourselves. There's three different points there, but that's the thing. We have to remind ourselves that we have been crucified with Christ. Because if we don't, we will not be alive to righteousness. We will not walk in righteousness. We will not be led by the Spirit. We will not see the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. Because if we have forgotten that the old person has died off, what happens? We live like the old person. Our actions live like the old person. And God wants to use you. God wants to use you to do great things for his kingdom, which means being a servant. So we're crucified with Christ, and we're crucified with Christ to be led by the Spirit, to see the Spirit work in us, to be servants. That's who we are. We're servants. We're called to serve one another. We're called to serve in the church. And let me just throw down a challenge right here. Unless this is like your first or second or third Sunday, I don't want you to feel like, man, this guy's really mean or harsh or something. But if you've been coming here for a regular amount of time, quite a few Sundays, if you're not serving in the church, can I just tell you you need to serve? You need to be serving because that's who you are. When you're crucified with Christ, you accept his identity. He was a servant, remember? The son of the living God, God himself was a servant. We need to what? We need to serve. I don't know where each person should serve. That's something you have to pray about. That's something you have to think about. But Sunday mornings from 9.15 to 10.30 or 11 to 12, it's not enough. God has called us to be used in this world to tell people the good news. God has called us to be used within the church, to serve within the church. And that's what we need to be doing. So I would just challenge you, if you're not serving, I'm not saying, you know, blow up your schedule, quit your job and not pay your bills to do it. But find out where you can serve. Maybe it's in kids' ministry, youth ministry. Maybe it's helping out in here with cleaning stuff. Maybe it's with communion. Maybe it's in the fellowship center, wherever it is. Maybe it's with events coming up. Find out where you can serve because if you're not serving, you're missing the boat. If you're not serving, you're not telling God, God, use me, because I know for a fact God's word says you need to serve. Think about where you need to serve and serve and do it joyfully. Be excited about it. Because who else would we want to be serving in life but Jesus Christ? At the very end, maybe there's someone in here. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Maybe you've never believed in his death upon the cross. Maybe you've come to church. Maybe you've done a few religious-related activities. But you've never gotten real with God where you said, God, I know I have sinned. God, I know you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins because I'm a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you've never accepted him as Lord, Savior, and King of your life, and this is a moment for you to do so. So I'm going to close in prayer as the worship team comes up, and if you want to receive Christ, if you want to have hope and peace that is eternal, if you want to die to your old self but have newness of life, this is your moment to do so to make that commitment to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And your life will never be the same because the old person has died and now you have newness of life through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I have sinned. Father, I am a sinner. And dear Lord Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, I know after your death upon the cross that you rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. 
Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. Father, thank you for raising him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Help me to walk in the newness of life, putting away the old life, putting away the old things, because I have been crucified with you. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.